Hi, this is Mind Rolling, and uh, I am back, and I'm back with my sometime podcast partner, once in a blue moon, Jared Gagen Levy. Welcome. Good nice to be to back, my you. brother. Good yeah. to be back. And and we're here with a new friend, Scott Creens. Scott uh, started this absolutely extraordinary multiversity, he calls it called 1440. Many of you know about it already because they're a partner of ours at Be Here Now Network. So welcome, Scott. Thank you, Ragu. Nice to be here with you both. Yeah, it's great. So right off the bat, though, we want to, you know, just get a feel for how you came all the way to creating this uh, jewel, which is uh, near Santa Cruz. Yeah, just talk a little bit, just so we can get to know you a little bit about you, just how you um, got into the transformation business, but more how did you, um, how did you in your own personal transformation? And, and I know you went into the tech world and so on, and we want to hear about that. But what, uh, we'd also like to hear the moment, sort of that or moments when you uh, got the idea that there was a way to be happy and free and not caught in uh, mind and ego and so on. So what led up into that moment, which probably precipitated a a lot of what you're doing now? Well, I'd like to report that I've discovered the way to be happy and free and not caught up in ego, Um, but I can only claim the journey. Uh, and I can tell you when it started to the day, actually, because it was January 6th of 2004. And that was the day that I lost my father. Hmm. And I was sitting with him uh, after he had passed. And the question of what matters came up for me in a way that it hadn't before. And in a way that wouldn't and hasn't and won't go away. You know, I think I'll just speak for myself, but I, I'm probably not alone. I think all of us have at different times in our lives had questions of meaning and purpose and life come up. And at least in my case, it's been easier to push it out of the way and get on with whatever the urgencies of the day were. And, uh, On that day, it wasn't available to be uh, pushed away any longer. So, you know, I don't claim that I've found the answers to the question. I've discovered a lot of things I was doing that don't matter. And uh, 1440 and Multiversity is about the pursuit of what does um, for me and hopefully for others. But before that moment, I'm sure you had other moments, though, that you went, gee, yeah. Wonder what is the underlying reality here, in some way, in some fashion? No. Yeah, I did. Uh, they, it would come up periodically, uh, and I would say, you know, really tough question, and I need to get this college degree. So I'll just focus on that instead, because whatever does matter, I'll be better off educated. And then it was, uh, I'll need a job, and I'd like to have a house to live in. And it would be nice to start a family. And so there was a reason to talk about something else every time the hard question came up mm, uh, right. until that day, by which time, you know, 45 years of my life had passed. And I still yeah. had never really stared at the question. So it was overdue. Well, never overdue. The timing's always perfect, isn't it? You know, for all of us. <laughs> yeah, it's better to say that because time only goes one direction so yeah. far as I can tell. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, well, one of the things, of, uh, so just so people do know that uh, you were involved in the tech world and an entrepreneur, and most recently you were the CEO of Juniper Networks, which you're still involved with, I understand. Yeah, I was... Uh, I became CEO there in 1996 and I was CEO for 12 years and we created a $4 billion company. Uh, and I was chairman at that time and I have remained chairman since. So that's now 20, gosh, 22 years of chairmanship. 
and I spent 12 years uh, as the as the sitting CEO as well. Mm. Which must have been an extraordinary experience in terms of being right in the middle of all of that as it's been happening over these last uh, 20 years or so. So uh, I'm sure that was an education in, in and of itself. It was a lot of on-the-job training. Uh, and we were, we still are. If you ever wondered when you put um, your email address uh, in and hit send and magically something's keeping track of about 9 billion of them in the world and making sure yours goes where it should and so forth, um, that's what we do. We're in the middle of the infrastructure that keeps track of where everything is and how to get it there. We don't wow. look at what's in, we don't look at what's inside, so we're not the people right. uh, interrogating any of the content. But if you wondered how the uh, backbone of it works and who keeps track of where everybody is, that's that's what Juniper does. Mm, extraordinary. Absolutely. I'm I'm so I'm so curious. So being in the in the um, tech world during that time, a little bit of stress a, a couple times in there and. <laughs> Uh, 99, 2000, and then around 2008. Um, I'm, I'm really curious. I mean, this mindfulness uh, wave that has taken, you know, Silicon Valley, which is, you know, however, you, it's a beautiful thing that it's entering, right, uh, the, the tech world in a, in a big way. But I'm just wondering, you know, it sounds like you had a, a journey up and even up until that point with your father. Um, were you starting to, to kind of try to integrate mindfulness practices or any other uh, sorts of kind of, uh, re you know, reflective practices internally at Juniper before, you know, this big, uh, you know, uh, epiphany that you had and moving towards 1440? Uh, I was, not, not um, at the outset in the 90s, but in the, after, um, a couple of things happened. One was losing my father, but also the company had gotten to a point where, you know, we had several thousand people in offices all over the world. And as, as the CEO, as the leader of the company, the question became, what do I do now? Because just walking around with my own two hands, trying to make a difference with that many billions of dollars and 10,000 of people and all that stuff, it wasn't really the way to do it. And so what became the belief that I still have is, uh, what you have to do is develop the leaders who are at the point of impact all around an organization. And then um, what's true about that is that nobody cares what you know until they know who you are. And nobody cares what you say until they know that you care. And so showing up as who you are and caring about that and being willing to be out there, um, which is a form of being mindful and being present, being with people instead of at people, um, is really that that work in leadership development was my path to reflection and contemplation and meditation and so forth, because you, it's not possible to show up as who you are if you don't know. And you can't know if you don't ask and you can't ask if you don't contemplate that in some way. Um, so kind of the, as, as will probably sound familiar, the, you know, the path presented itself. But to me, it actually went through the road of uh, leadership development. Oh, that's, that's great. Wish there was more of you out there. <laughs> these days. There's more all the time, you know? There is, yeah. Well, and we've met some of them through uh, one of our, um, uh, one of the people involved in Love, Serve, Remember is uh, a woman named Mirabai Bush, and she does work. Yeah, and you know Mirabai, and, and she w does work in those spheres and reports back, yes, there are a lot more very conscious leaders coming through the pike than, than there has been. Yeah. You know, I'll give you a theory with no proof, um, but it feels correct to me. I actually think the uprising of social media and the uprising of mindfulness are directly related because, you know, what social media, and I'll just use that term to mean a lot of things, but what the, the, the behaviors that we now see online in stark form that used to live in dark corners um, are all the same behaviors that have been going on offline for ever, but now they're right in our face. And so the need to figure out how to be a little more mindful and a little more compassionate, 
has never been made more visible than in the last 10 years or 15 years when we've seen these terrible behaviors often showing up online because that's how people sometimes behave. And I think the response to that is we need to learn how to be in better relationship and we need to learn how to have compassion for one another and we need to be a little more present, a little more mindful because I don't want to look like what I'm seeing online uh, in some cases. So I think the rise of mindfulness, which actually corresponds pretty much directly on top of um, the rise of, of online and social media and relationships on display for everyone to see is a, is a kind of an equal and opposite reaction to some of the bad behavior that, that the <laughs> online world yeah. you know, kind of illuminates well, it's, for us. It's, it's interesting, right? Like these, these different trends that come about, it's, you know, you see this kind of uh, first it's, uh, um, uh, you know, talking about it, uh, the social cred of mindfulness, right? Like, oh, I meditate in the morning. I, uh, you know, listen to this, uh, you know, podcast or, or that, and they're, you know, you're sharing it through social, you just did this or at your next cocktail party. Um, and, and then, you know, so you, you kind of got this like fake it till you make it, you know, moment. In, in, yeah, in, yeah, I'm mindful. Right. Yeah. I'm, I'm <laughs> and, and, I, and I'm getting cred for that. Like my group of friends, you know, uh, thinks of me a little higher in that way. And then you actually uh, do sit, right? You do, you, you do a meditation and then it does something like inside, you know, you, you get a, a little spark. And, uh, and then you realize, wow, there might be something to this, you know? Um, and then, and then you, all of a sudden you're on this road, uh, on the path. And it's, it's really interesting because I've seen the same thing. Um, and there's been a similar rise with like social responsible business, you know, and mm -hmm. corporate social responsibility and, and green business. At first it was kind of like, uh, you know, let's, let's put a, a sustainability uh, officer on there or um, let's, let's uh, you know, give a little min money back over here, uh, five cents over here, but talk about it with a dollar over here. Um, and, and then uh, companies started realizing, wow, like uh, consumers are actually having values alignment uh, with, with this uh, message I'm putting out. So maybe, it's, maybe this is something we should look at. And then they, you know, things like B Corp, you know, come out. And, uh, and, and companies are committing to it and realizing, wow, this is actually the long-term strategy for the health of my company, you know, from a profitability standpoint as well. So it's, it's like, it, it's really interesting because I love to toggle between our own personal growth and looking at businesses as humans as well in their own right and the growth of them and, you know, mindfulness and social responsibility and this kind of stuff. But I hadn't thought, thought about it, it that way until you kind of talked about the rise of social media and, and, and mindfulness and connected that. Yeah, you know, I love that. Something else interesting I would, will tell you that surprised me a little bit is we started Multiversity here thinking a lot of it was going to be built around workshops for individuals and people would self-select in more so than it would be for groups and corporations. Uh, and instead, what's happened, I mean, that, that is happening, of course, because you know, Mirabai and Sharon Salzberg and Jack Cornfield and lots of other people have been here and doing exactly that. But the surprising thing is, so have a lot of corporations. And when, when they contact, because we haven't done any promotion to, to that at all, there's people that have contacted us and said, can we bring our group there? And, and we've said, maybe, but not if you're here to talk about budgets and products and engineering, because that, that's not what we do. You know, we have a mission and, and actually 75, 80% of the companies have said, actually, that's not what we want to come for. We want to come for practices in authentic leadership, in mindfulness, in um, conscious communication practices, um, team building. We, we want, that's the reason we want to come to you is, is we want to do that work. Sometimes they say, you know, we've got our own instructors. Sometimes they've said, can you teach? Um, and sometimes, you know, a bit of both. We're here to do a little bit of our own and we'd love to be exposed to meditation and other programs you could recommend for us. But that's probably 80% of the companies that have come through here when they've contacted us, 80% have said, no, that I, I don't want to do a product meeting. I'll do that in my office. I'm coming for another purpose. So I do think there's something afoot that's more than just, um, to your point, Jared, it's not just, yeah, I want the credit of saying I do that stuff. It's really, it's really going on. Right. Um, I want to go back to the, uh, our, our chat about, uh, and how you brought up uh, social media, 
happening at the same time as the mindful, you know, everything kind of coming and blooming at that time. And you yeah. also you have also said, Scott, the blazing success of the internet catalyzed powerful connections, yet did not help people connect to themselves. And, and that's a, a, an interesting statement. Uh, and we have had dialogue and uh, on what I've done over the last couple of years with in with mind rolling that has come up very often what is the efficacy of the net in terms of how powerful it is in the connectivity that we have with each other and at the same time uh, the downside which is huge there's a lot of downside and as you just said it's really coming up and flashing in our faces these days in a very difficult way but i think it's it's a it's a real question the uh the balancing act of of good and bad yeah but let me say this about that right i think first of all i think it's the most powerful innovation in the history of mankind is the the capability to connect every person on the planet hmm. nothing we've ever invented has had more power uh, potential than that uh, now, when you invent something that powerful with primitive understanding of its power, it's inevitable that it's going to be used in imperfect ways um, because, because life is imperfect and we don't know everything that we need to know. It still makes sense to invent it. You know, the first thing that happened when, when man invented fire was he burned down the whole village. You know, it didn't make fire a bad idea. Um, and we've now got this incredibly potent invention and we need to learn into how to use it. But as I said earlier, I don't think anything's happening online that wasn't happening offline. You know, it might be more visible, might, might horrify us in ways that it didn't when it was out of our consciousness, but that didn't mean bullying and abuse and, and, you know, pick any of the ailments of, of being online weren't already happening in probably in at least as painful a way in many cases offline because it went on unchecked, right? So, you know, that doesn't mean we just let it go on. There's a lot of effort to figure out, well, now how do we use this tool for betterment and for good? And um, what are the things we need to be careful of now that we are beginning to understand the power of what's been created and so forth? Incredibly important conversations. But I personally, I'll just say for myself that I couldn't be more optimistic or more excited about what we built. And I'm, I'm sad for the casualties, I, not to be unsympathetic to the, some of the consequences, but we're an imperfect species. And on balance, we're way better off. My oh, opinion. come on. Speak for yourself, Scott. My opinion. <laughs> no. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I, I agree. I mean, it's, uh, it's fantastic right now. I mean, I won't go off on a whole tangent on, on what's happening with, you know, blockchains right now and, and things like that. But as an underlying principle of democratizing power, um, you know, I, I think that we're just seeing the beginning, right, of the power of the Internet to be able to do that. I mean... I, I yeah. feel like we're at a, a moment with um, when there's conversation around influence and power and money where it's like the end of a monopoly game and we're <laughs> pretty soon going to, what do you do at the end of a monopoly game? You, you clear and you start over, you know, um, with, with new currency. And I, and I truly, you know, I was talking to a guy yesterday about this that has a uh, crypto called democracy.earth, which is, <laughs> you know, really, really devoted to uh, using blockchains to give us, uh, you know, each a vote um, in the world, We're truly uh, bringing about democracy, democracy using the blockchain and, um, and looking, you know, at, as real ways to manifest, um, you know, universal basic income uh, for every human being on the planet. I mean, as you know, so I, I just, you know, I, I couldn't agree with you more. I mean, I, I really, really love uh, how the, the places where the Internet is being leaned into in a healthy way. And as with everything, you know, there's going to be um, some bad practices that we need to kind of work through, you know. Right. Um, right. Actually, one of our one, you don't know this, but one of we have a very dear friend in common who's departed us, unfortunately, but 
we we worked on the strategy for digital detox with uh, Levi Felix. Yes, uh, and I know that you all at fourteen forty supported him. Yes, we um, did, and, and still, you know, I, I should say his organization is still going. But that whole uh, trend and conversation that he brought to the world around digital detox and how to look technology isn't going away, but how to have healthier relationships with social media and technology uh, and integrate it into your life in a, you know, in a way to, um, to help bring more connection, as you said, um, is, uh, you know, really a, um, a, a beautiful thing and other movements you're seeing like that sprout up. Yeah. And 1440, along with running the multiversity here also has an investment arm and has invested in a number of, um, technologies, quantifiable self-technologies, apps for meditation. If you use Insight Timer, for example, which is one of the more visible ones, or Headspace or things like that, those are all 1440 investments. Um, because I think that it is possible in a purposeful way to take these this connectivity capability that we have and um, launch a whole series of invitations to get to know yourself better. You know, and, and um, the comment that you referenced or the, the quote earlier I go that I made was the thing about the Internet or about this connectivity is it does give us this capability to connect to everybody else. But now people get so preoccupied with how they show up for everybody else and how they look online and <laughs> what their Facebook page says and all that stuff. We didn't used to pay a lot of attention to ourselves or spend a lot of time with ourselves because when we got that moment, we'd run to the TV and turn it on or whatever. Now we go online, but it's or odd both. or both at the same time. I guess if you're like kids today, in many cases, they got three things going on at the same time. But it, to have a relationship with somebody, you've got to spend time with them. And, and, and the odd thing is the person most of us often spend the least amount of time with is ourselves. Real quality time. We're awake, but we're paying attention to something or somebody else. And in some ways, the internet has, or, you know, call it social media, whatever you want to say about it. You know, we get so preoccupied with showing up for others that we spend even less time with this person we already don't know that well, which is us. Yeah. And so you there's know, some work to do here. I, I don't yeah. mean to say there isn't, but I also think the awareness is going up. Yeah. You know, what Annie, you know Annie Lamont? You got to have Annie Lamont over there at 1440, Scott. I don't yeah? know. Yeah? Yeah. You'll find out. She lives in Marin near nearby uh Jared there and Annie uh, is a writer and it's just the most one of the most insightful uh, uh, writers that I know and uh, a good friend of Jack Cornfield and oh. she said my mind uh, my mind is a bad neighborhood uh, something <laughs> like I think I need a chaperone to really go there. <laughs> uh, so yeah let's talk about um, who helped chaperone you a little bit into uh, getting more uh, awareness, uh, getting getting on the path, and and growing. And I know you authenticity is uh, is certainly a byword for all of us. But uh, yeah, talk about your own journey there. Um, well, as I said, it had a lot to do in the early days with leadership, and 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 authentic leadership was something taught by a guy named Bill George, who was the actually was the CEO of Medtronics for a lot of years. It was a very large healthcare company. Um, and then he, he wrote a book called True North, and he began teaching at Harvard um, and is one of the kind of loud voices early on, this is many years ago, um, on the subject of authenticity and authentic leadership. Um, and then on the personal side of it all, it's been kind of a windy road. It's been time with, uh, in the early days, uh, for me, early, I'm meaning post-2004, um, with with some training with in Buddhism with a Buddhist monk that I cross paths with and um, has spent some time in trainings with John Kabat-Zinn and mm. a little bit with Jack and um, also some time with TM, uh, a guy named Laurent Vilasek and some of the TM trainings there. But, you know, I think, uh, well, I have another theory with no proof. I have lots of those. Um, this one is, this one is that I think sometimes it's not so much the, uh, the training technique, it's the time in which, in your life that it crosses your path, uh, and your readiness for it. And I think sometimes we tend to think, you know, that it's, whether it's Buddhism or Christianity or Sufism or whatever, that, um, 
you know, oh my gosh, it's the teaching. And I don't mean to be disrespectful at all to any of the teachings, but I also think it has a whole lot to do with where a person is in their journey when whatever it is crosses their path. And, and for me at different times, different levels of readiness, I suppose, um, it's, it's uh, as someone said, it's the one truth known by many names. And, and I think that inward inquiry and the quiet and the contemplative reflection, if you want to call it that, whether some people might call it meditation or others would call it prayer. And I, I don't, I kind of prefer not to create a great big stark distinction and try and grade one or the other. Um, I just think it's back to that prioritizing that relationship that we have with ourselves and spending some time with that stranger. You know, that's Derek Walcott's poem is the stranger who's known you your whole life. Mm-hmm. You know, get, get to know that guy. Yeah. <laughs> However well, you choose to do it. It's, yeah. it's so, uh, I, I love what you just said there because at this current time, this is why, you know, I feel like a multiversity is so needed right now because, mm. you know, for, for years past, I mean, there were, you know, uh, humans were, were more drawn towards like, uh, you know, church or um, the religious, you know, organized religion for mm-hmm. this piece. Um, and I, and I feel like, especially, you know, over the last uh, 50 years with the, in the West, with the influx of, you know, East, Eastern philosophy into the West with on the backs of people like, you know, Ram Dass and, and others yeah. um, that, um, you know, that, that, uh, that, you know, a, a, a more secular approach to spirituality and a more inward approach, individual, you know, spiritual path has really, um, you know, come into being in a, in a, in a major way. Not that that always hasn't been happening, but it seems, and it, and, and what I really, uh, love about, you know, when I, when I saw 1440 was coming into existence and started looking at it, it was just like all the modalities the, it, it's kind of a buffet, you know, of like different paths. So for me as a seeker, it's that, you know, that whole, all, all rivers lead to the ocean kind of piece where it's like, Oh, well, you know, I'm in a, in more of a, you know, feeling in a, in a bhakti uh, path, you know, this, <laughs> I need to go do a workshop on, you know, couples work with my wife or tantric right. traditions or, you know, uh, or leadership, you know, because I'm having trouble with, so, I mean, I, I, um, I just, I, I mean, I, I bring that about cause I, you know, when I first heard about 1440, it was kind of like, wow, that's, you know, it's kind of, it's, it's, um, there's Esalen down there and there's these other places, Kripalu that are in my mind as kind of occupying a certain space. Then I started seeing the offerings like the, the, and the first time I visited it was actually during the conscious company media, uh, forum that they held there with a lot of other conscious, you know, business leaders. Um, and, uh, yeah, I have to say, I mean, I was just really pleasantly surprised by the way that you've, you manifested that, uh, that ability to have that buffet of modalities all with authenticity in that space. Well, I appreciate that, Jared. And it's really one of the reasons behind the name actually is multiversity is, is got one of the reasons for that name is because we think of it as multiple doors into the same room. And, mm-hmm. and, you know, I think people are, this is a, at the risk of a generalization, people are motivated by two things, desire or pain. Mm-hmm. And, and so for either reason, what's most important about the teachings, whatever they may be being impactful, is that you meet people where they are. And if somebody's got a lot of desire for a stronger relationship with their spouse, or if someone's in a lot of pain over a loss or over the challenge with their child or over the struggles with their team at work or whatever it may be, doctors trying to be better at caregiving with their patients, you know, that, that pain or that desire is the thing that's motivating them. And to have the most impact in the best way in the shortest time, I think, you've got to be able to meet people where they are. And that's the big difference between, I'll say multiversity, but I'll say hopefully current day spirituality um, by comparison to traditional religions, which just set up on the mountaintop and said, come here when you're ready. And, th- and that, that doesn't create the impact um, in the same way that I, that I hope that we can and mm-hmm. others. Certainly just mm-hmm. what you said, 
basically you got to get really unhappy first of all to even think that you're going to open yourself up to something that can make the change and that seems to be you know a common thread for everyone uh, and it, it sometimes it's years sometimes it's just like one <coughs> moment and then you start looking out and uh, you should write down what Jared just said buffet of modalities how about that? Yeah. That's really poetic. I mean, I, I like that. You, you <laughs> grab that one. I like um, that. So th- there's a something that interested me in just reading through some some of the stuff that uh, that I've been sent. Um, and you talk about courage. Yeah. At one point, and you say one of the best descriptions that you've ever heard of regarding courage. Uh, it's not the absence of fear. It's being afraid and doing it anyway which is, uh, I, I like that this, that um, definition, Scott, because courage, uh, it's something that's been very important, that it's been brought up uh, at the, uh, I think you know we do retreats with Ram Dass and, mm-hmm. in Maui and Krishnadas mm-hmm. and Jack and Sharon and other people. I want to go and, to one of those. Yeah, yeah come you out. should come. Open, open your heart in paradise on the beach i mean you know what do i have to sell it anymore I mean, what, how could that be bad right Jim? yeah right <laughs> uh anyhow we talk about courage and in particular uh when we were in, in india uh, we were with uh neem karoli baba i think you know who that is we call mm-hmm. him maharaji and uh Krishnadas, in more than one of these retreats has talked about courage in light of maharaji one day saying to him uh courage is very important and uh i've told this story before and i'll tell it again and one of the indian uh, devotee who was next to him said no nah, you know it's it's bhakti he didn't say bhakti yoga but guru's kripa guru's grace so it's all based on that so what what there's no need for doing being anything and Maharaji just pointed his finger up like he used to do, and he looked at Krishnadas and he went, "Courage is everything." Really slowly, and and for the rest of his life, Krishnadas has has remembered that in times of the most difficult, difficult situations. So, mm-hmm. courage. Whenever I see that and and see anybody address it, um, uh, I always bring it up because I think it's a really important, important. Uh, thing for people on many levels to help just get through day to day never mind the big things uh in life and certainly uh so i so talk about it a little bit from your point of view uh, i mean you did say uh, the barriers in us in making a change uh is this wish that the path is going to present itself before you commit and so on talk about it scott because i think it's a good uh, viewpoint that you have no thank you i'm glad to it's an important it's a uh, one of my favorite subjects, actually. Um, See, so I think that this journey that we're on and ways of, let's call it just inquiry, discovery, betterment, the, the, the hard part is not describing what to do or why you should do it or how much, you know, how much better it would be if you did it. The hard part is how to do it. And so if we spent more time with ourselves, if we were willing to share more of ourselves with others and be more vulnerable and be more authentic and admit our fears and so forth, great, love that, sounds great. How do you do that, right? And the how do you do it part is where the courage comes in. Because being authentic is easy if you're courageous about it because it's what you are anyway. It's what we all are, right? And so it's not like, you know, uh, it's sometimes, you know, it gets talked about as the mask. We all have a mask we put in front of us and usually a mask behind that mask and so on. So what does it take to drop the mask? There's, there's not, showing your face is, is not hard, except for the courage to do it, right? And if we wait until we're not afraid to drop the mask, that's the whole reason the mask is there in the first place. And, and I'll say this too, cause this, uh, you know, it's important to always ask the color of the lens anybody looks through most of what I've done 
at least in the early years of my life, if I'm really honest about it, was driven by fear. It was fear of not knowing what it would be like if I didn't do it. It's a stupid bunch of double negatives, isn't it? But I've yeah. done that. I've reasoned like that a lot. Yeah. Um, and afraid of how I'll be seen if I don't do this or afraid of what people will say if I don't do that or whatever. So, you know, I've, I've lived my life in the presence of a lot of fear. Um, and so I might be biased about this, but I don't actually think it's possible to do something really challenging or authentic, I'll say, um, without being afraid of it. And so pretending otherwise doesn't help. So what do you do? And I think that's where courage is, you know what, I'm going to do it anyway. Um, and, and if you do, and I use this analogy a lot, you know, it's like the high school dance. Everybody's on both sides of the gym looking across at one another. Nobody's dancing until somebody has the courage to walk across the dance floor and ask and the fa- with the fear of being rejected in front of the whole student body. But they're not. And they dance. And of course, five minutes later, the dance floor is full because everybody wants to dance. So, so the thing about courage in the face of fear is, yeah, it's hard. And then just trying to remember, I'm not alone. And if I'm willing and able, then um, I bet lots of other people will, will dance with me. But somebody's got to go first. Yeah. Right? In our own life, the only person that can go first is us. And so you can't wait around if it's you that you're waiting for. <laughs> Um, And so anyway, all that leads to what I have a lot of strong feelings about courage being kind of the essential how to pill in all this. Mm. Um, And you just got to sometimes just got to do it. Yeah. Well, it's that you just got to do it. It's uh, I think that it's uh, a buffet of modalities. I just love (laughs) that. I'm going to use it here because it's a buffet of different elements that make up the ability to be present enough and to be courageous, which includes uh, the um, includes grace. It includes effort. It includes uh, the a bit of trust. And that's something else that we've been talking about a lot. Uh, our whole retreat that we did in uh, December uh, in Maui was around trust and uh, we're we're about to release an online course around trust actually that's uh, uh, it's something we should talk about doing that kind of a thing at uh, 1440 actually is get a themed thing going and you know do something uh, that's uh, reflective of uh, uh, getting different people in different points of view. So we really do get that buffet going because I love that idea. And of course that is also represents multiversity. Yeah. But, and uh, that's a lot of the, when we do leadership training here, we're going to be doing it in a couple months again, it's all about, that's what authenticity enables is trust. Yeah. Because if I'm truly authentic and I'm, and, and I'm showing up that way, then somebody's going to look and say, that's who that person really is, not who they're trying to make me think they are. And so now I'm willing to lean into that. Yeah. And so authenticity produces trust and trust makes inspiration possible in the business setting or for that matter in a relationship. So there's a being self-aware, then being able to be authentic about that and have the courage to show up creates a trusted environment. Trusted environments make inspiration and discovery possible. And, and that's what creates human flourishing. And so that's, it's, it's in the middle of the universe. Yeah. And that's what also Beautiful. creates getting up out of your chair to walk across the gym. Yeah. Right? It's that little trust in the intuitive part of yourself. But we need we need you, uh, Gagan, here to to uh, to respond from your point of view in your, uh, shall we say, less years on the planet and your experience with <laughs> trust and courage, because I want to hear about it. Trust and courage. Hmm. Gosh, I mean, I'm just, I, I'm, I feel like <clears throat> Scott, uh, you know, speaking to me is like when I'm, you know, Ram Dass is polishing the mirror. It's like, <laughs> you know, I, I mean, I'm looking at myself in the mirror telling myself this, right? Um, mm. Yeah, I, it, it is the, the base. I mean, Raghu, you know, I, I think I was talking to you offline about this, you know, not in so many words uh, last week about, hitting a certain point with, with my business, uh, you know, it's just uh, what I was thinking, boy, we are really tuned in. That's great. 
Yeah, uh, in 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 hitting uh, with the with with this creative agency and kind of, you know, uh, there's as as uh, you know Ramdas or Krishna Das would say, you know, all under the blanket, you know, um, it's it, Maharaji's all under Maharaji's blanket um, as we flow um, and to try to release attachment to some outcome that, as you said, Scott, you know, I've got. Uh, a, a desire to achieve. Um, and that takes trust and it takes kind of surrender to that, to that, you know, faith. And, um, I had a, gosh, I had a, I had a moment I was in, um, India in, in, uh, Varanasi, uh, Benares, uh, in, uh, October and there where the, where the, um, city of Varanasi meets the Ganga and this, you know, where they have the burning ghats, it basically, um, one of the holiest cities in, in India. And, you know, they, where they talk about confronting attachment and desire to things on this planet is nothing like sitting there for four hours and watching a, a human body burn um, mm-hmm. and, and, and meditating on that subject and thinking about all the things that happen in my day to day that pull me um, you know, and uh, when and and there's a there's a realization that happened in that moment. You know, when I was in Varanasi, um, that uh, that everything is perfect. That um, that that uh, that I needed to release attachment and that desire and and just kind of go down the river where the river wants to you know take me. And and then I flew back to America. You know. And I spend a week in my office with my team, which is lovely. And, you know, and, and you start getting pulled back into clients and this and this management thing and, and how quickly that experience can kind of uh, fade a little bit towards the background and that attachment, that desire that, you know, has uh, been trained into this, you know, spacesuit that I've been wearing for the past 36 years um, comes about, you know, and it's, um, it's a real struggle, you know, that struggle, but, but, and, and, and that's why I guess, you know, coming back to, um, you know, the, the practice, I guess, and coming back to, you know, sadhana and, and, and these different modalities, whether it's through an experience there at multiversity or through a podcast or a, a talk here on be here now network or whatever it is that, I can remember, you know, it was hearing you say what you just said that brought me back to sitting in front of the fire at the burning gat at the Ganga and, and realizing the stress I'd been in for the last few days at my, at my work and the, the tension and juxtaposition in that. So thank you for bringing me back to that. (laughs) Well, you're more than welcome. I I think I'll just speak for myself with practice and you just, it's such a good point, Jared, is for me, I think a lot of times the benefit of my practice isn't actually what happens on any given minute or time on the cushion. Um, it's the discipline of doing it. It's just the discipline of checking back in with it, you know, and sometimes it doesn't even register. Sometimes my mind goes crazy the whole time on the cushion, um, like maybe all of us, I guess. But somehow the rigor and the regular return to that, um, even if it doesn't show up on that you know, that, that block of time there, that half hour, hour, whatever it is sometime during the day or sometime else, it's like, it keeps it in the forefront of, of our minds. You know, you've got that experience of sitting there in India at the forefront of your mind, and then it gets triggered. Um, I think that's what practice, that's what practice is so valuable. It's the discipline of it um, and the reminder that it brings. Exactly. Yeah. And, and I, and I would say also to, um, I want to answer something, Raghu, I, I, I didn't particularly answer you on just the, the next generation's thinking in this kind of space. And I just want to answer it with one little piece, which is what I'm seeing as I'm hiring um, and working with these various companies and startups here is purpose has really been, you know, at the forefront and integrated into um, the, the next generation in, in a way that I don't, I don't think it was in like before even Gen X, like there, there was kind of this um, ambition and this way that I guess was, was trained into moving through life. And I would just say 
that what I'm seeing at least is when it comes to trust and courage, I'm seeing some of the, these younger generations, I mean, mine included, but even, you know, towards millennials and Gen Y and Gen Z and whoever knows what the next one's going to be, <laughs> Gen AA, um, is, is going to be, you know, it, p- are, are willing to trust that that purpose is going to bring about the, the kind of lasting happiness and fulfillment um, without being so tugged by some of the, um, the uh, just um, ambition to, you know, uh, grab it at kind of things and, and attachment to that. I, I, I really do think there's like a, a reinvigorated trust that um, and courage to lean into, uh, you know, purpose within like your, you know, daily work um, and, and things like that. And I'm, I'm seeing that manifest here. Yeah, that's what I would call it. There's a very healthy curiosity. And it's not waiting for people to become 40 years old or 50 years old and ask questions about meaning and purpose in life. You know, people are asking that question in school and, and they've, got a, they've got a need to know and a willingness to demand answers that they believe in, not just that are told to them by somebody older than them. Yeah. Um, and I couldn't, that, that's thrilling to me. Openness, big time openness. Scott, I'll tell you a story. It hopefully won't embarrass uh, Gagan Jared here. <laughs> uh, well, one thing we haven't talked about in this whole conversation, inner awakening has been sort of our theme. Mm-hmm. Love. Mm. Unconditional love. And so here's my story. I went to India and I went with... Uh, uh, Jared and his wife, Jyoti, and uh, we were up in the Himalayas at uh, my guru's ashram and having a wonderful time. And then I said, you know, I'm going down to uh, the middle of the country to a jungle to meet this yogi. Maybe you want to come. And they said, sure, because they're really adventurous. So off we went. And at this point, I, you know, we knew each other. Uh, not the way that we know each other now. So, that, you know, I didn't, when, when you're in the presence of beings that are free in some way, you get to know the person that you're with in front of that mirror, shall we say, a lot better. So we went down there and, um, and he, in an instant, I mean, I, I met this being and I went, oh yeah, I, somehow I know you somehow. And, you know, I felt an immediate affinity and realized he was the real thing. And and then I Jared jumped into this love puddle, shall we call it, in an instant, was wide open. There was no nothing between him and his his mind. He took his mind out, he put it on <laughs> on a rock, and that was the end of that for the three or four days that we were there in that moment. Mm-hmm. And that just, and I've had that experience with um, a number of people that I've in in that I've been with, and I've either said, "Come with me in India" or something. We happen to meet up, or or going to Maui, and uh, where we have you know these fairly large groups over a week period. Uh, that is to me the most uh, optimistic uh, experience that I've had in the last number of years. Uh, when we talk about and specifically about next, just next generation and it, it, you know, kids that are coming into it and coming into their 20s and then 30s and so on, uh, that is so uh, welcoming, uh, thinking of what, uh, what we really need going forward. And, and that's got to be an element of it all, that openness and uh, recognizing that love that's in, inside all of us. So I just... <coughs> Yeah, I think um, if I could have one wish for love, it would be that we could ignore, we could, we could think of it as a verb. Um, it's a thing that we do, um, and sometimes I think this notion of being in love uh, makes it seem like it's a place or or a or a thing, and it, to me, it's not. It's an action that we take. Um, and it's got all the hope to create all of the potential inside all of us because it's what makes possible 
what might be more difficult than we can do all by ourselves. And it doesn't mean somebody has to love us. It could be us loving someone else. It could be us loving to nature and the redwood trees around us here in multiversity um, manifest in a lot of ways, but it's, it's probably, you know, right up there with courage. I would call it the other great answer to the question of how, how do you do that? How do you do that? Courage and love are a couple of great mm. verbs, actions, yeah. commitments yeah. that make possible near as I can tell just about anything that we're capable of. Yeah. And, and when we, we, I always qualify when we speak of love, we're talking about not the business love. You love me, I'll love you back. Not that one. This is unconditional and no judgment whatsoever. Yeah. So courage and love, that's going to be our next retreat. We should hold it at Multiverse at 1440, Scott. Okay. Consider it an open invitation. All right. We'll put it together. I'm not kidding. I think it's a great idea, actually. Absolutely. Uh, we'll, I do, too. We'll, I'm not we'll, kidding, either. I, would, uh, it, I think it's the starting point for and It's the starting point. It's the middle, and it's the end. Yeah. So you could check it at the beginning. We'll do a whole bunch of work and come back in circle at the end in gratitude for the same thing we started with. And, and I, I'm sure that there'd be a lot to learn for me. Yeah. Yeah. As they say in India, very good idea. Very good. <laughs> Thank you so much for being here, Scott. It's great meeting you. Likewise, right? Uh, and Jared uh, both. It's a pleasure. Yeah. And uh, everybody out there, you we're going to have up on BeHereNowNetwork.com slash MindRolling. We're going to have the, uh, well, what am I talking about? 1440s all over the site, okay? Easy for you to <laughs> check it out and uh, see who's coming up there. And if, certainly if you're in the neighborhood on the West Coast or plan to just go there directly, uh, you'll, you'll see many... Uh, you'll see the buffet of modalities. The buffet As of modalities is now here from, it's yes. here from now on. Yes. yes, yes. <laughs> <laughs> and thank you, Gagan. Thanks for being here with me. I love having you as uh, my partner here. And uh, again, thanks, Scott. And everybody, we'll see you next week on Be Here Now Network. And have a good one. 